I do believe that no one can tell your story better than you can. And so whenever you experience something, you should absolutely be the first to narrate that and to share that experience and to really go in depth about what you feel and what you think and how you see the world, because we all see the world through our own, you know, lenses. And it's really important that we recognize that and we tell stories from that vantage point. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Seek the Joy podcast. Happy Seek the Joy Tuesday. I'm your host, Sydney Weiss, and on the podcast today is Audrey Ori, social activist, entrepreneur, publisher, philanthropist, and author on a mission to give marginalized voices a platform to speak. And I so enjoyed sitting down with Audrey to have this conversation. We really talk about the power and the role of storytelling in shaping culture and shifting the narrative around race, the importance of sharing your story, and why writing your own narrative provides a blueprint for future generations. Audrey shares the phenomenal work that she's doing with 13th and Joan and 100 Seeds of Promise, how she's created a home for really countless stories that would otherwise go untold, the important role of allies in this work, and how she's empowering men of color to document their own narratives. Plus, Audrey shares why it's so important to address the trauma that results from being a marginalized voice, how she's remaining spiritually grounded and prioritizing her wellness, the importance of protecting your joy and your peace, her biggest dream, and so much more. After my conversation with Audrey, I was really struck by the power of storytelling and using our voice and our platform to not only shift the narrative and shape culture, but also provide a space for stories that really would otherwise go untold. And Audrey is just so wonderful. And I loved everything she had to share. And I learned so much from this conversation. And I, I just, I cannot wait to hear what you think. So make sure to join the conversation on our social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We are at Seek the Joy Podcast everywhere. If you're listening on Spotify, hit follow. If you're on Apple Podcasts, hit subscribe. And while you're there, leave us a five-star rating and review. Ratings and reviews really help the show get seen by new people. So when you leave us that review, take a screenshot and send it to Sydney at seekthejoypodcast.com and I'll send you a little something something to say thank you. All right, guys, that's it. That's all I've got for the intro for this week's new episode. I'm so excited to bring you my conversation with Audrey. I learned so much from our conversation and Audrey is really empowering black voices and using storytelling to combat racism, both in society and in the overwhelmingly white publishing industry. And I'm excited to bring you her work with 13th and Joan and 100 Seeds of Promise. And this episode is a must listen to, I think for everyone. So thank you, Audrey, for coming on the podcast. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Audrey Ori. I would love to start off by just talking about, you know, who you are and, and the great work that you're doing with 13th and Joan and, and everything else in between. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. 
my name is Audrey Ori. I'm the CEO and founder of 13th and Joan Publishing House. And um, I started writing at the age of 10. I published my first book at that time and was just writ- uh, bitten by the writing bug. And I've had an affinity for words and an ongoing romance with them ever since. Hmm. Um, I recently realized that there was really a deficit in the numbers of African-American men who were published authors. And so I launched an initiative called 100 Seeds of Promise to combat that. And it was my commitment to make sure that um, that particular demographic had their stories see the light of day. Mm -hmm. And so I work religiously on that. And um, I'm very excited about, you know, the future of the company as well as the work that we're doing. Yeah, I think what you're doing is so important and there's so much to unpack about what you're doing. But I would love to touch on a little bit to begin with, with 100 Seeds of Promise. You had mentioned that there was a deficit of stories of black men in these spaces. And I'm curious maybe why? What have you found through your time in publishing as to why these stories are really not shared? You know, I think that stories, first and foremost, those who recognize the importance, they know for certain that um, the narrative and the way that it is controlled is very important. Mm -hmm. And so I think in many instances, people have attempted to control the narrative and not allow many of those stories to see the light of day. We've seen with, you know, traditional publishing houses, the same thing happens in the music industry and every other industry that exists. You know, there are just certain narratives that um, are desired to be pushed by uh, a minority of people. And so that's really why we work to combat that. I had uh, a father who said that he Uh, wanted to write a book about being a black father and his relationship with his children. And he received several rejection letters. But the reason for the rejection was not about the content or the way that he had formulated the story. It was you know, mostly saying that there was no market for stories such as that. And we all know that that's not true. Mm -hmm. Children need and deserve to see themselves in books and they need and deserve to see uh, images of their parents in books. And so that is kind of, well, not kind of, that is exactly why we exist, because we know that, you know, a lot of the control of the narrative has rested in the hands of people who don't represent the majority. Mm -hmm. I think you bring up a really good point, which is your experience, whatever you're experiencing, you should be the one telling that story. You Mm -hmm. should be the one sharing that story. It shouldn't be someone else um, like reflecting on your experience. And I think that's such a good point of it's your life. It's your story you should be the one to share it and you should be the one to tell it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I've been advocating for that, um, you know, for quite some time. I do believe that no one can tell your story better than you can. Mm -hmm. And so whenever you experience something, you should absolutely be the first to narrate that and to share that experience and to really go in depth about what you feel and what you think and how you see the world, because we all see the world through our own, you know, lenses. And it's really important that we recognize that and we tell stories from that vantage point. Mm -hmm. I think you're totally just spot on. And I think what's so cool about what you've done, not only with 13th and Joan, but also 100 Seeds of Promises, the way I look at it is you've really created safe, honoring spaces to 
to share these stories, a home for these stories. I just think that's incredible. I'm curious if that's how you look at it also. It is. You know, 13th and Joan is exactly that. I use the term safe space very often because not only is it hard to muster up the courage to say that you want to write something, but then to share it with the rest of the world Mm -hmm. and to kind of put yourself on display, you know, it takes a level of intimacy and commitment to being that way. So we want to make sure that if an author gets to the point that they really want to share their story, that they do have a safe space to do it. And in addition to that, you know, to make sure that they have a space that teaches them Um, the right way. And that, you know, helps to format what we know to be quality literature in this space of, you know, the world of publishing. So it's really important that we uh, lead the charge because we have a heart for those stories. Mm -hmm. I love what you just said about giving the tools to share those stories, to make sure that they are, you know, successful in, you know, the marketplace. But you're right. It also takes that insane, I think, sense of courage and vulnerability and intimacy to share your story. But I can imagine too, there's another layer of sharing your story in a space that maybe hasn't felt safe or really hasn't been safe or welcome for someone to share their story, whether you're a person of color or you're a black man or black woman. I can imagine, I can only imagine that that adds an extra layer of that level of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I mean, in so many instances, you know, we, as, as black people, we've been given our history. We've been given Mm -hmm. Um, you know, content about ourselves. We've been provided with narratives that we did not write. We've also been left out of, you know, a great deal of uh, the stories that are told. And so it's really just empowering to know that there is an area that this can be done and that you don't have to water it down. You know, a lot of times when we share our stories, especially many stories of Uh, people who go to traditional publishers or those who have been around for many years, they share, you know, that they want to have their stories changed or, um, you know, altered in some way. And so instead of being able to really be unapologetic in what you know to be true or the narrative that you wish to tell or depict, then, you know, being forced or encouraged to change that is also something that can make you feel you know, it just doesn't feel good when it comes to the work that you're rendering out and especially art, you know, art Mm -hmm. is interpretive. So for someone to tell you how to interpret your experience, it just won't work. And so, you know, that's what we we're up against on a daily basis. I'm curious about the role of storytelling in all of this, in speaking to, you know, systemic racism, racial inequality, I'm curious the role of storytelling. What role can it really play? How can it be used? I think not only, maybe not only by those of us who are writing and sharing stories, but even those of us who are reading those stories and and watching those stories. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, first and foremost, I think that when we are allowed to stand in truth, you know, for example, everything that's happening right now, we just had the rendering of, uh, you know, really non-charges for Breonna Taylor's mm-hmm. justice, the George Floyd. And these are just two scenarios that have happened while we were in quarantine. You know, that mm-hmm. says something very terrible about the state in which we are existing. But, you know, Ahmaud Arbery, there's so many countless names. And so the fact that these 
these are topics, major topics of discussion on news stations and in print media, you know, the conversation is open. The door is open to discuss and to talk about it. And so I am really encouraging people to really write what they're feeling during this time um, when it comes to racial injustice and inequality, because people are forced at this point to acknowledge that there is a problem. Um, and those who are not acknowledging that there is a problem and that there has been a problem are simply a part of the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, so we're really at a place where we cannot turn a blind eye to it. And so in doing that, this is really a great time for those who are creative and those who have stories and those who want to tell stories to share. This is a great time to be very candid, to be unapologetic in the narrative that is, you know, that is gleaned. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, with the racism, um, with with COVID, you know, with this pandemic, everyone has experienced that in a completely different way. So to be able to document that now is such a great time for that because we have people who are listening that were not listening before. We have, you know, companies who are listening that were not listening before. We have press and media who are listening that were not listening before and just in ways that they have not been listening. Mm -hmm. Now, does that mean that, you know, we stop there because people are listening? Absolutely not. We have to really dig deeper into the systems that have been in place that are actually working just fine, which is why we are seeing, you know, non-justice in scenarios that we, that, that are before us, but writing these things down, taking ownership of truth, uh, taking ownership of the narrative is key right now. And so I urge everyone, whether you, you know, you write music, you write books, whatever it is that you do to create, this is the time to definitely document because it is, uh, it will be fruitful. I know that for certain people will look back on this time in history and have many questions. Mm -hmm. And so it's up to us to document it accurately and depict it the way that it is truly unfolding before our eyes. Mm -hmm. And document it from your own personal experience. I think what has been so interesting about this time with, with COVID and the pandemic is exactly what you said, that more people are listening, more people are paying attention. Mm -hmm. I honestly think it's because we all spent so much time at home and mm -hmm. you're really having the opportunity to see things for what they are. And it, of course, it matters, you know, what news outlet you listen to, how that information is shared. But that goes back to then why it is so important for you to document your own story and document your own experience and have that level of truth telling that's very personal to you uh, so that you yourself can go back and look, you know, at this period of time, how did this make me feel? What was the experience? There's so much power in in sharing your story and and documenting it i think too as as you go absolutely so much power and that is the number one thing that i am urging storytellers to claim is their power mm -hmm. you know there's so much power in the narrative and so what we believe about ourselves uh, what we believe ourselves to be capable of um, the experiences and the way in which they've happened all of those things are what control how we exist, you know, and how we show up in the world. So it is absolutely powerful to to reclaim uh, if it is not claimed and to take ownership of the narrative. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think what goes hand in hand with that, too, is really the power of the book industry, the power of media in its role to really shape culture and to mm -hmm. really shift the narrative. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why I just, I love what you are sharing and what you're saying in this podcast, but also in your work, because we can shift 
the dynamics. We can shift culture. We're already seeing that happening by more people standing up and speaking out. And I can only imagine a year from now when books and articles and more start to come come to light from this time. It's going to it's going to open people's eyes, I think, in a more uh, profound way. Even I just I I think there's so much that's going to come from from this moment in time. Absolutely. And I'm very hopeful. You know, when people ask me, you know, do you think that things will change? And based on what I've seen in this country, not a lot has changed over Mm -hmm. the years. You know, there are many things that are still very much the same. And I do believe the system, you know, the the um, constitution was written at a time where there was not even electricity. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that we're still honoring a document that is that old and, you know, with very little edits is super concerning. You know, when you think about a manuscript, um, the amount of times that it is edited is monstrous. And so to know that we are governing ourselves under the auspices of a document that was written so long and has been edited so little is is very concerning. But what I am encouraged by is truth. Mm-hmm. You know, I am encouraged by the people who um, are not afraid to stand on it. I am encouraged by the individuals who feel inspired by uh, the pain or who are called to action by the trauma to make a difference and to allow younger generations to see what standing up and fighting looks like. And so those things encourage me. Um, So while I don't know that I will see change in my lifetime where the systems have been eradicated, what I do know is that the truth will be, you know, in black and white and it cannot be denied. You brought up a really good point, which is what I I've been thinking a lot about lately. I'm reflecting back to even four or five years ago. And I wonder if I almost saw the world, if so many of us saw the world with this sense of rose-colored glasses on, um, if we thought more had changed because Barack Obama was president, or if we thought we had made better strides in the world because we felt maybe at the time that white supremacy wasn't so much on the rise. And so I'm curious, you brought up this point about trauma um, and being called to action by the trauma. I think as a society, sometimes we tend to suppress that trauma. We tend to push it down, but I'm finding more and more, it's so important to bring it to light and to talk about it mm-hmm. if, if, and when you are comfortable, um, because not only on the other side of that is healing, but I think there is also a sense of understanding. So I'm curious if you have found that it's important to address this level of trauma, um, whether it, it can be trauma in all aspects of your life. But I think primarily what I'm asking is trauma from being marginalized, trauma mm-hmm. from racism, trauma from inequity. I'm curious what your experience has been with with addressing that trauma and, and maybe even why it's so important to do so. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, the trauma that that we speak of is first and foremost uh, inherited. Mm. You know, we not only experience our own trauma from present day, but we experience the trauma of knowing what our ancestors have been subjected to. And so that trauma, that pain, that anguish, that anxiety, all of those things are passed down. And what is even more saddening is that, yes, they're passed down, but we are expected to carry on, you know, Mm -hmm. to uh, perform in excellence. We are expected to 
um, move as if we have not been traumatized. We're expected to move as if we should be past what happened 400 years ago. But no one addresses the fact that if it's not erased, then that is a part of your DNA. This is how you um, are wired now. Mm-hmm. To own that trauma. And so I do believe that there was an era where, or, you know, it continues where we see patterns of uh, small bits and pieces of what feels like equality. You know, we see someone advance. We see um, those few celebrities and entertainers who have made it and people who don't understand the dynamics of systemic racism will say, well, look, you've got people who have managed to find success, you know, so all black people cannot be oppressed, but that's not addressing the systems, you know, Mm -hmm. those are individuals, um, you know, who have achieved, but it does not address the masses. It does not address the mass, uh, trauma that is embedded within each of us. And so for me, I think that there was a time that I, I certainly wanted to believe something different. I wanted to believe that I had uh, brought children into a world that saw them for their value and their contributions and the, the type of people that they have been uh, raised to be. But I think that during this time, no matter how much we wanted to look through rose-colored glasses, it was eye-opening yet mm-hmm. again for all of us. And so what that feels like is essentially pulling back pulling back a scab. You know, it's something that it has been a scar and it's there, but as it begins to heal, you know, you, you tend to deal with it better. You tend to move forward. You know, if it happened to be on your knee, you can walk a little better. And when you're in the shower, it doesn't hurt as bad, but when the scab is removed yet again, then you realize that that scar has always been there. It's never left. And so that's really what racism feels like. That's really what the trauma that um, black and brown people experience at the hands of this country. And so when we see leadership deny opportunities to speak out against it, when we see leadership acknowledge um, acts of violence as acts of courage, when we see leadership spew hate and encourage this type of behavior that has traumatized people for many years, we recognize that the real fault is in not seeing the value of a people who contribute so much. Mm-hmm. You know, this country was built literally by black people, you know, with our hands. And so when you look at culture and you look at um, art and you look at business and you look at inventions, all of the contributions have been very meaningful to this country. And so to deny um, and suppress that is really a sad thing mm-hmm. to not be beyond, you know, race and to not see beyond color because there are some amazing things that have come from black people. So I think that we just have to, you know, trauma can be addressed in many different ways. I can say personally speaking, there have been days where I felt like I just didn't want to get out of bed, you know, mm-hmm. like when after hearing about um, George Floyd, I didn't watch it because I watched Philando Castile. Mm-hmm. And that for me was more than I could have ever fathom that that happened and to know that it's an ongoing thing. And that just happened to be something that was recorded and we saw it Mm -hmm. and that just goes on on a regular basis. But um, yeah, so there are days where the trauma can be physically 
debilitating. There are days when the trauma can be mentally, it can be socially, you know, and then on the other side of that, I have lots of friends from, you know, all races. And so really when the country kind of addressed both pandemics, the one with race and the one Mm -hmm. with with COVID, um, a lot of my friends from other races were calling, you know, they were calling me, they were calling my daughter, my teenage daughter, and they were asking, you know, lots of questions. How can we help? What can we do? I didn't realize. And so then on top of the trauma, you're grateful to have people who who care enough to ask how you're doing and what they can do to address it. But then you also have to teach. Mm. And so it really is exhausting, you know, at times. Yeah. And so I am uh, invigorated, though, because I know that I play a role in what will be documented. I don't take that lightly. I feel that it is my duty, my mission, my purpose to make sure that this is in black and white and to make sure that these experiences don't get left behind. So that, you know, is what makes me say, okay, pull yourself together. You know, you've got to get up, but being Mm -hmm. strong all the time, it can be cumbersome. Absolutely. Yeah. I I was going to ask you, you know, how do you maintain your own sense of wellness and self-care and I don't know, even just peace of mind some days when not only is this something you're experiencing, but then you're also having to teach or to share or, you know, you know so I guess what I'm trying to ask is um, how have you really been able to, yeah, maintain this level of self-care and wellness um, and take care of yourself and take care of your family? Has it been like a balancing act? Has it just been absolutely impossible? Mm-hmm. You know, um, every day is different. I remember um, probably about two months ago, my youngest daughter and I went to the beach and that was kind of, it's kind of just a, a tradition. We love to go to the beach, even though in Illinois, the water is really cold. We're originally from Florida, so we don't get in the water. We just, mm-hmm. sit, you know, in the sand and really just enjoy the scenery. And she just broke down. She started mm-hmm crying. She was, I mean, she was bawling. And I'm like, you know, where's this coming from? What's wrong? And she said, you know, I just really wish that God would, would heal everything. And she meant, you know, COVID, Mm. she meant racism and all of that, but that was her way of processing it. You know, my oldest daughter participates in several, um, of the protests, you know, and that was her way of dealing with it. And so my way is to really empower more marginalized voices. Mm -hmm. And so every time I see an author release a book and every time I see an author um, speak their truth and prepare to release a book to the world, that is kind of confirmation for me to move forward. On a personal note, I have to acknowledge that what I feel is sadness. You know, Mm -hmm. that's not something that I associate with at all. I'm very much a happy person. When you see me, I have a smile. Sadness is not something that I identify with, but I had to come to grips with the fact that I was just sad, Mm -hmm. you know, that this was the reality. So acknowledging that certainly helped me. Um, Taking action is another thing that helps me, but I've also learned that when my body and my soul says to be still and to rejuvenate, then I have to do that as well. And so sometimes working can be a way to suppress the trauma that really should be realized and, and, you know, acknowledged. And so that's where I've come to, I've been able to just 
stop sometimes, mm-hmm. turn everything off, you know, turn off social media. Uh, I don't really watch the news. I stay abreast of current issues, obviously, but I try my best to not um, engage so much with the news because it really can become heavy. And then writing is a great escape. A lot of what I do in writing for my clients and writing for myself is escape because we are, you know, either I'm being someone else as a ghostwriter mm-hmm. or I'm uh, writing or I'm working on a current romance novel. So that's definitely an escape. And when I feel like I need to get away from what is in front of me, then I I can always turn to the paper as well. I was going to say, I think trauma shows up in so many different ways and in different ways throughout the day. And sometimes, you know, the best way to cope is to immerse yourself back in your work. I certainly do that. And then I realize like I'm trying to avoid how I feel and let me just spend, you know, a minute or five minutes or an hour, whatever it might be, allowing myself to feel, allowing myself to experience. Um, But it's difficult then too, I would imagine, you just brought up the news, everything continues to get re-litigated and re-shared. And and I think that's important because I think people wake up with repetition, people pay attention with repetition. But then at the same time, I can imagine if it's something you're experiencing, it's like pouring lemon juice back into that scab that keeps mm-hmm. coming off. Mm-hmm. And so I love what you shared about really it's it's about every day is different and figuring out what's going to work and and listening to your body and listening to yourself with with what you really need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that we have to find those things. I'm also really working with my children with the transition, you know, of uh school now mm-hmm. being virtual and all those things. Just finding the joy. And that's mm-hmm. what I've learned Um, I knew that, but this year has certainly reinforced the fact that joy is the actual treasure, Mm -hmm. deep joy, you know, really um, being able to look out and see the sun and be thankful for just that, you know, being able to listen to the birds and being thankful that you can hear them just being able to breathe is a blessing. And I mean that, you know, (laughs) figuratively, Mm -hmm. literally, Mm -hmm. it's being able to breathe. And so I just am thankful for the little things, the things that you cannot purchase, thankful for the opportunity to walk in purpose. And, you know, also try very hard to remain spiritually grounded so that I don't let the world consume me. I just think that um, no matter what's happening and all of these things are very important, I will never stop being on the front lines, fighting for equality and for justice. But then I also have to uh, take a step back from time to time and just realize that I am a a soul. Mm -hmm. And um, I just need to sometimes give my soul whatever it is that will make it feel full. So I work really hard on that. Mm -hmm. I also do a lot of work on alleviating things that are stressors that are not necessary. So um, bad vibes, bad energy, <laughs> mm-hmm. people who are not happy with themselves. You know, I work really hard to, um, to just kind of live in a bubble to protect my joy and my peace. I love everything that you just shared and you took every single question that was popping in my head and you just started answering it. I love when that happens because <laughs> I, I was so curious about joy in your life. And I love what you said that walking in purpose also brings you that sense of joy and sharing your truth brings you that sense of joy and knowing that you are helping others to share their truth and and their experiences. I think it brings me to this idea that 
I think we often, we often spend so much time making sure that we find our passion and find our purpose. But sometimes it really comes to you and it's about seeing that purpose and feeling that passion and allowing it to fuel you and allowing it to become your joy. And mm-hmm. you sound like that's exactly what you've done. It's exactly what I've done, yeah. you know, and I don't take that for granted. I know that there are people who search a lifetime for their why, you know, why yeah. am I here? Why do I exist? And so the fact that I wake up every day with no alarm clock and walk right into mine, I know without question why I'm here. Um, I don't even hesitate anymore when I am given an idea from the most high. I already know what it is that I'm to be doing with it. And I also know that there will be provision made for me to execute those ideas. So that to me is just blessed. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that I could allow anything to consume me so much that I, you know, lose sight of being blessed in that way. Mm -hmm. It's just not possible. So I am truly joyful. I'm truly happy aside from anything or anyone, because I know why I exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That knowing that sense of like continued inspiration that it keeps flowing and keeps confirming, you know, that you are where you're supposed to be and you're doing, you know, what you're supposed to be doing. What has been maybe the biggest lesson that you've learned? Maybe it's been throughout your career or even within, I don't know, the last nine months of COVID and everything else in between. Yeah. What has maybe been the, the biggest lesson that you've learned along the way? My goodness, I've learned so much (laughs) Um, and it it continues to evolve. But the number one thing that I've learned and I work to maintain is that you have to do whatever it takes to be okay with the person you see in the mirror. Mm. And so that means making decisions that might not always feel good, but making sure that you can always wake up and live with yourself. So, you know, doing what is right by others, um, working hard towards whatever it is that you desire to manifest. And, you know, taking action is the other thing. I think that a lot of times we wish for things, but we don't necessarily want to do the work for them. And if it's something that we want, if it's a desire of our heart, if it's something that's been implanted in our soul, it will be challenging. And that's the thing, you know, you figure, well, if I've been given this amazing idea, why must I climb a mountain to get there? Mm. But it's because of the view, you know, that you will see. And it's because of the story of the journey in getting there, you know, to the top of the mountain to look out. And so um, there is always a reason and a rationale behind things, but most importantly, just to, to make decisions that will, will make me okay with who I am when I wake up every single morning that I've, you know, done the best that I can for and by others. Yeah. It's a level of acceptance, but also I think grace with yourself. And I think during such a difficult time, during such a difficult year, I think a lot of us at least I, that's what I've noticed through these conversations, have put a lot of pressure on ourselves to do more or be more or see more. And I think what you just shared is so beautiful and so powerful. It's about knowing who you are 
accepting, you know, who you are and and what it is that you can do in any given moment. And also knowing when it's time to take it to the next level and take action or, um, you know, create a plan to to make those steps to get to where you want to be. I think that's such good advice because sometimes we wait in limbo, you know, and we expect the next step to maybe come to us, but sometimes you really just, you got to put one foot in front of the other and, and see where it'll take you. You must. And I think that the way in which you walk is important. You know, you don't have to run. You can literally walk to Mm -hmm. wherever it is that you desire to go because it's already been ordered. You know, your steps have already been ordered and it is really just about you exerting the effort to take the steps. But we don't, you know, there's no race to the finish line. There's no racing against another person. Everything that we do in our lives is really about realizing it's the character arc is what I love to say. You know, Mm -hmm. the character must evolve. You will not stay the same, nor should you aspire to do so. You will continue to take steps and to grow and to uh, move into new spaces. And in doing that, you're going to find your faults. Those are going to be revealed. You're going to find the things that you're most proud of about yourself. Um, You're going to to come against challenges, but all of those are part of what should be happening in your life and, you know, bumping you in the right direction. So it's all truly a blessing. Mm -hmm. I love what you said that it, it matters the way you walk. You can, you don't have to run. You don't have to sprint. It doesn't have to be a marathon. I think Mm -hmm. we feel a lot of pressure to like get to the next or make the next thing happen. So what you just shared, I think, I think is so powerful. I wrote it down and I I can't wait for people to hear, hear this part of the episode during Mm -hmm. this time. There's been a lot of growth for so many. Um, Mm -hmm. we've been talking about how really the rose colored glasses have come off and being in quarantine in the middle of a health pandemic, but also several other pandemics that are occurring at the same time. I think so many of us want to do more. We want to be more supportive to the black community. We want to help lift up and raise voices and, and make sure these stories that you're sharing are, are being told and being shared. And, and so I'm curious if you have any advice, whether it's for someone in the media or just someone at their job or listening, whoever it might be, how can someone begin to support these stories and support these experiences and not only ensure that they're told, but ensure that they're told um, from, from the person who's sharing it, their experience. I guess what I'm trying to get at is being an ally in these storytelling spaces, being an ally um, in this way. I'm curious if you have any insights or, or any advice uh, along those lines. Sure. You know, allies are so very valuable um, and they can operate in so many different ways. There are no limits. I've seen everything on social media from, you know, people serving as allies with their bodies to people serving as allies with their minds and with their integrity and, you know, with their hearts and their actions. And so it's really, really important. I cannot stress that enough. But what that looks like is, you know, in your household, you know, look around. If you're a parent, look around and see if you have any children's books written by black authors. You know, do you have any books that you are using to show your child that the world is exists of, you know, more people than just your own race? Um, when you are going to purchase a book, have you purchased a book from a black author ever? Have you read one? Does it, you know, have a place in on your bookshelf? That's something very, very simple because that exposes you to the writing of someone who is black. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a very simple yet profound um, action to take. 
in the corporate space, you can look at the hires. Look at who is hired for various activities. I was just sitting, actually sit on a school board. And uh, something that we were discussing is that there is training for diversity, right? Mm -hmm. But there are no Black people who sit on the committee. So it's Mm -hmm. like, well, how diverse is this going to be? Are we going to really hear the viewpoints that need to be expressed? Furthermore, when we look at the curriculum that had been adopted for diversity training, it was not written by a Black person either. So you have to dig deeper than just what you see on the surface. What was thought is that, well, great, you know, we have a diversity um, training initiative. So that is taking steps and that is effort. And absolutely it is. But looking beneath that, you're looking just deeper into the surface to say, okay, great. Well, who's a part of this diversity initiative? For the first time in the district that I am in, we um, celebrated Dr. Martin Luther King. And you would think that that's an automatic, you know, thing that happens, but they had never celebrated, never Mm -hmm. commemorated. And so I was really excited to be a part of bringing that to fruition, that this was something that was recognized. The same thing with Columbus Day and bringing forth that it would be called Indigenous Peoples Day. So it is serving in capacities like that to ask the people um, who are around you and to, you know, ask what they need, number one, how can you be of assistance, but also looking at the spaces where diversity is not happening and finding those people. Most recently, there was a CEO, and I will not say the name of the bank because I don't want to get it wrong, but he said that there was just not enough talent in the pool to find, you know, executives. And that's simply not the case. You know, where are you looking exactly? Mm -hmm. Where are you trying to find talent? Because there's plenty of talent out there, but if they are not granted the interviews, if we are still forced to put race on applications, then, you know, obviously it is still something that is considered. So looking at hiring practices in the corporate sector is very important. In the school district, look at the curriculum. Is there a curriculum that teaches African-American history? In many instances, there's not. My daughter is enrolled in in AP courses. She's got, you know, AP Euro. She's got German. She's got all these things. But there is not the opportunity for her to learn about her own culture. We have to do that at home. Mm. So when it comes to education in the sector, look to see what is going on with the curriculum and if there is a diverse offering of curriculum. Um, The same thing happens in the music industry. Who are you supporting? What music are you listening to? What genres? And we all know that music is something that you can support no matter what, because music is just something that connects us all. So look at the artists that you're listening to and exposing yourself to. And it just is in every area of life. If Mm -hmm. you look around you and you see no diversity, question it. Wonder why. Determine how you can make that different. And then when we look at the systems that are in place, such as resources that are allocated from a political sector or in your community, your local community, where does that funding actually go? Where do donations go? Where does the funding for the educational initiatives, the community initiatives, where is the funding going? And look to see who's actually being supported. These are all ways, really simple ways and things that we do every day that we can acknowledge um, that not only black people are not making everything about race, but that we really do have a race relations issue Mm -hmm. 
that needs to be addressed. And there really are systems in place that oppress people. And so we have to acknowledge it, number one, and then we have to take action in order to serve as an ally. So thank you for asking me that question, because I think that it's a great question. There's no right or wrong answer, but just serving as an ally is an action that is welcomed and necessary. Yeah, it sounds like really the first step is about acknowledging, acknowledging that there's a problem and then being vigilant and asking questions, being curious, looking Mm -hmm. into things that maybe you, you didn't look into before, because I think I'm certainly guilty of this. I run on autopilot sometimes, you know, you're so busy. You've got so much going on. You don't think to question. You don't put on that like lens of curiosity, but Mm -hmm. I think it's about, like you said, acknowledging there's a problem, then taking it the next step and being vigilant and asking questions and being curious. And then it sounds like it's then figuring out how you can play a role in making a difference, what Mm -hmm. you can do to deal with these different, you know, institutions, or uh, it's a school district, or it's at work, or it's the books that you're buying. I mean, I love the way that you broke it down. And I'm so, so grateful for what you shared, because it's, it's actionable in a very realistic and approachable way, which mm-hmm. I think is so needed. Um, because I think sometimes I think people feel intimidated. They don't know where to start. Right. Right. Absolutely. And that was a question that I got a lot, you know, from my friends. They said, I don't even know what to do. And, you know, acknowledging the fact that they felt like, okay, well, I can't be racist because I have a black friend, you know, Mm -hmm. but I'm your only black friend. You should ask yourself if you have made a concerted effort to befriend others or where you are, you know, that this does not happen. So it's just something that we have to wonder because we where we are one or the only. And so um, we have to ask ourselves the same questions, everyone, you know, why are we, um, you know, in the environments we're in and and how do we play a role in all of this? Mm -hmm. I I think you're, you're spot on and that's great advice. Thank you so much, seriously, for for everything that you have shared during this conversation. I think the role of storytelling, the role of speaking up, advocating, using your voice and ensuring that your story is being shared is is incredibly powerful. And Audrey, before we go, I have to ask you the question I ask everybody that comes on the podcast, and that is, what is your biggest dream? Wow. Well, you know what's so funny uh, about that walking in purpose um, and, and knowing, and as I shared with you earlier about being very, very sure of the way that things manifest for whatever reason, you know, God will show me something and I don't know when it will manifest, but it mm-hmm. always manifests. And I don't take that, um, seeing lightly. And I don't mean like, oh, I can see into the future. <laughs> or I'm a- <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that he will give me very clear visions. And so I dream with my eyes open. And he showed me that 13th and Joan, because right now, as it stands, the major publishing houses have been in existence for many, many years. I mean, at a time where even, you know, we weren't permitted to read. It was illegal for black people to read. And so what I see is 13th and Joan being a monument that is established that long where it becomes something that is around for, you know, well over a hundred years and that the work that we seek to do um, continues to be not only normal, but sets a precedent for leadership in this industry and 
that it really um, provides a microphone for voices that have been marginalized. So it's not only a dream, it's something that I know will absolutely manifest. And I don't know if I will actually see it, but I know that it will come to fruition. And so my job is to just lay the foundation, which is what I do every day. Mm -hmm. You're doing it. You're doing it. And I'm just so grateful for that we've connected and that we had this conversation. And it, it just occurred to me, 100 Seeds of Promise, laying the foundation, planting those seeds, so much beauty is going mm-hmm. to come from from what it is that you're doing. So, Audrey, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on Seek the Joy podcast. Where where can everybody find you, connect uh, with 13th and Joan, 100 Seeds of Promise, and all of the other wonderful things um, that you're doing? Absolutely. Well, first of all, let me say thank you because, you know, I can um, hear through your demeanor and the conversation that we're having, the um, sincerity. And it is very meaningful to me. I value it. I don't take it for granted. So thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of this discussion with you and sharing this. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. And so um, please find me on social media at I am Ardrey Ori. And that is A-R-D-R-E-O-R-I-E. I'm on all social media at I am Ardrey Ori. And that is my website as well. And then for 13th and Joan, it is 13-T-H-A-N-D-J-O-A-N. We are on all social media at 13th and Joan, and that is our website as well. Perfect. Everything is going to go in the show notes. It'll be so easy for everyone to connect and and learn more. And this has been such a pleasure. I can't thank you enough. And um, I'm looking forward to staying connected and following all of the great work that you're doing. So thank you so much again, Audrey. Thank you so much, Sydney. It's a pleasure to speak with you. And I look forward to all that you are doing as well. Keep up the amazing work. Thank you. Thank you.